in order for us to heal our world and move toward the place where we can meet this existential moment of climate crisis and of all the intersecting social issues that plague us right now, we need to be healed ourselves. And I think food can offer us such an incredible opportunity to nourish and care for ourselves that we can show up for one another and move the important work that we need to move forward in order to ensure our collective liberation and and well-being. Hello, I'm Denise Withers, and you are listening to Forward, an interview series where today's leaders reveal how they use stories to make change and shape the future. If you need a new way to move forward towards your goals, then stay tuned, because I have just the story for you. Narrative strategists who work across issues are all seeing the same pattern these days of plummeting mental, physical, spiritual, and emotional health in our society, triggered by deeply held narratives that sustain imbalance, injustice, and immobility. They know that in order to heal our families, communities, culture, and the planet, we first need to heal ourselves. One powerful way to do that is through food. Uncovering, rethinking, and changing narratives that control the way we relate to food so that we can relearn how to nourish ourselves, the land, and each other. But doing that kind of deep narrative work isn't easy, which is why I'm so thrilled to have Shizue Roshidachi on the show today. As the narrative strategist for Real Food, Real Stories, she's leading their initiatives to help people working in food culture find, shape, and share their stories to create a healthier future. I know she has some terrific insights to share and can't wait to get this conversation started. So welcome, Shizue. Thanks, Denise. Really glad to be here. So before we get into the how of what you're doing at Real Food, Real Stories, it'd be great if you could start us off with a little bit of information about what you're working to achieve. Yes. So Real Food, Real Stories' mission is to democratize food culture, to feed our collective healing and transformation. And we really see that work in relationship to the idea of How can we reclaim and reimagine the ways in which we grow, cook, and gather around food in order to support the collective work, not just of the healing and repair that we need in order to move towards a more just and liberatory future, but to aid us in that transformative work. So the end goal for us is to live in a world where our cultures and our economies are shaped by care for the land, waters, and people to which we belong, right? Like this is forward thinking. This is about how do we lead from our gut to create the future right now that we all deserve and that we all so deeply hunger for. And I think narrative strategy and cultural strategy work hasn't necessarily been the language that's been used as much um, in food and agriculture. So for example, the narratives that we're trying to cultivate are the sorts of things like we all belong to the land, we all deserve a home, food is inherently relational, connecting us to place, community, past, present, future, you know, transforming the food system, changing, fixing the food system, quote unquote, is not just about looking at these linear lines that move from farm to table, field to, you know, plate, not just about questions of how do we improve upon this practice of consumption. It's about how do we shift the way we relate to food? And that's so much deeper of a question 
right? That is about not just how we consume food, but how do we relate to it in art? How do we tell the story of food? You know, we've been painting food and still life all the way to, you know, you have Diego Rivera's murals of farm workers as part of a hugely political movement, right? So food is such a key part in how we understand ourselves and our communities and the world literally since the beginning of time. One of the earliest narratives so many of us are exposed to in history class around agriculture is that agriculture is what made civilization possible. Like Mesopotamia, being able to create a surplus and to hold grain in a silo, that is the beginning of our story of civilization. And we're taught that just as truth, but that's just one narrative of how food has shaped our expectation of what our world looks like. That's such a great example. And I suspect that if we were to spend more time unpacking that, we'd start to see just how deeply food narratives are woven into everything we do. So this is such a big topic. How do you get specific and and do that work on a day-to-day level? Yeah, so I have a great example. Chef to David Fu, who's actually a longtime community member of ours, back in the day when Tu was first working with Real Food, Real Stories, was actually for our annual benefit uh, story slam. And he was working through a story about his experience becoming a chef. So he's the child of immigrant refugees. Food was really bound up in a lot of shame and silence in the family, but was also could be this space of joy and connection. And so we had invited to in to do a story. And at the time, the theme had roughly been conceived of as self-made. And so Chef Two came in and the first part of Two's story is, well, self-made is bullshit. You know, we are community made. So that's a moment in which Two is rooting the whole story that he's about to dive into in disrupting a really pervasive narrative in the food space, which is this kind of championing of these self-made exceptional celebrity chefs of whom many people would put two in that category. And in that framework of telling his story, he's not just saying, this is a story about me pushing against the odds and becoming this incredible chef and working to you know support my community from this high pedestal. It's about, no, everything that I am is an expression of the community that fed into me and nourished me because food is relational. Food connects me to my past, gives me agency over my future, and allows me to bring my community along in that work. Wow, that's such a powerful example. Thank you. And and so it sounds to me like much of what you're doing is creating space to revenge for people to challenge our dominant narratives about food and food culture through sharing their own stories. But you're trying to go much deeper, you know, and so how do you do that? How do you get beyond just publishing on YouTube or social media and really engage the community who's trying to shift these narratives? Yeah, so our kind of core piece is the around the table. I'm excited that we're actually in the midst of developing a pilot project to accompany those conversations, which we're calling immersions, which will basically be Our take on a study group slash practice space, you know, really the idea of what good is a conversation if it isn't followed by space for rehearsal. That language actually comes from Nikiko Masamoto, who's an artist and a 
peach farmer in the Central Valley of California, but wanting to create a space where people can come together in this conversation that sort of opens up our expectations of how we can reimagine and reclaim food culture and then says, great, now what? How do I actually inhabit transformative narratives in my life? We want to create a space for that. And so that's going to be a virtual community that practices joyful accountability with one another and makes actual commitments about how we want to embrace narratives of wholeness, for example, or decolonizing um, our experience of food culture. What commitments do I want to be held accountable to in this community? How do I want to try and practice this and not just in my head, in the food culture I create for my family around the table or in how I relate to food on my social media? You know, it can look like so many things. And then we also have our narrative-driven story workshops. So those are actually relaunching this summer. We had originally started off last year in sort of a reimagined form, but that's a space for people to come in and workshop a story with our trained facilitators rooted in a core narrative. Like I mentioned, those narratives being things like we all deserve a home, we all belong to the land. And that being an opportunity to recognize the ways in which people think that sharing a personal story is inherently an empowering act. And it isn't the case. And many people who've ever participated in a press interview can attest to this, right? Where you can share your story. But if the framework you've been given doesn't actually align with you and with the impact you're seeking, it can be very disempowering. So how are we aware of the frames that we are existing in? And how do we claim those frameworks for ourselves? And those frameworks are so defined by the narrative. So for me, it's this idea of how do we excavate, surface these stories for people rooted in food as a way in that really empower people not just to share a piece of their life story, but to then recognize how they are part of creating a narrative, not just for themselves, but one that they see in the world around them. People are on different you know, places in the spectrum in terms of doing this work. There are people who are going to be more aware of the world story narrative in who they are and what they do and others who... It really has never, ever crossed their mind. And so for people who are listening, who are interested in thinking, wow, this actually could really be beneficial to me, how do they get started in even recognizing their relationship with food? Is there a process for that? How do they kind of get going? Yeah, so it's really interesting. People can sometimes, I think, feel intimidated I surely did at the beginning of this with even the idea of the word narrative, right? Narrative is just a fancy word for story. And we are all natural storytellers. And I think what's really powerful about food is it does offer this entry point where most people have experience of of intimacy with food, whether that's positive or negative. But it's such a sensory rich experience that with some prompting around questions like through our story workshop program, for example, we can ask questions like, what's a moment that you had with food where you felt like you really belonged? And I know for myself as a mixed race woman, one of the first things that comes up for me was the feeling of bringing rice balls to school as a kid and having this kind of relationship with how my food was perceived by others. And when I was living in the Bay Area, there being some real pride in that. And when I moved to the Midwest and was part of a white, pretty privileged private school space, there being shame there and thinking about how that shaped the way in which I felt I belonged to my school, my peers. So I think there's a lot of 
memories that are embedded for us in food that allows us to understand, oh, actually, now that I have a little bit of fodder there, I can understand how that experience really shaped a feeling of disconnection that followed me in my school experience all the way through college and beyond. And that food often becomes a place in which we can tease those threads apart. I like to say that for people who are intimidated by the conversation of narrative strategy, when you think about narrative underlying stories, what you're really talking about is, you know, when I tell you the story of Goldilocks and the Three Bears, and you can tell me the moral of that story. Well, the story is Goldilocks and the Three Bears, but the moral is the narrative that you take from that, right? So depending on how I tell the story, the the takeaway could be don't go poking around in other people's houses. Don't go stealing other people's food. Or I could tell the story differently and it could be wild creatures are scary and you shouldn't trust them. And those are ways in which we can tell the same story But depending on what our narrative strategy is, whether we're aware of it or not, the narratives are going to be there. So it's a matter of claiming the narrative to support the impact that you're trying to convey and the movement you're trying to build momentum around. And when I think about how that fits into this process of uncovering your relationship with the food culture and getting clearer on that and what story you're telling, then there's so much work to do to say, okay, that's the relationship. That's the thing. Now, what do I want to change? And how do I then use story to move forward into that change? So I know you mentioned you were doing some work around that. Is there anything else that you can add for people to say, if they want to change the relationship with food, how can they actually do that? I think it's hard to think about how to go from where I am now to where I want to go forward. It's nice to jump forward and say, what would be the relationship that I would love to have with food and that I would love to pass on to my children or my non-blood kin. And for me, I've been thinking a lot about this, as I said, as a mixed race person who feels a lot of conflict around my identity as a person of color and, and my whiteness as well, is to think about what are the things that I want to affirm in my relationship to the land and to how I care for myself and nourish my body and my communities. You know, some people have this experience of like food is fuel, it's an obligation. It isn't really nourishing me in any deeper way. So I think that idea of starting from the question of what do you need to feel nourished? What do you need to feel cared for? What do you need to feel loved? And to ask a big question like that and then find your way in through food. There's a reason why uh, there's a tenderness associated with having a parental figure uh, make you a grilled cheese and slice some fruit and give you a kiss on the head. There's a lot of tenderness and a deeper experience of nourishment that we can access through food. And that doesn't go away when we grow up. In fact, that longing only gets deeper. So how can food be an expression of the care and love that we want to express, not only to other people, but back to ourselves? And in order for us to heal our world and move towards a place where we can meet this existential moment of climate crisis and of all the intersecting social issues that plague us right now, we need to be healed ourselves. And I think food can offer us such an incredible opportunity to nourish and care for ourselves that we can show up for one another and move the important work that we need to move forward in order to ensure our collective liberation and and well-being. And that resonates in so many ways on so many levels, given where we are today. And so I'm just thinking about people who 
you know, maybe don't have a chance to participate in your workshops. Is there something that you've seen works well in terms of uh, within a community or within a family, any practices or any tips in creating that kind of healing experience? Because I know that you have to have an experience to change. And stories are a really powerful way to, to do that. You know, you get to share an experience through a story, but it's even more powerful if you can actually have the experience in person. So anything that works well in terms of doing that within your own life? Yeah, I have, I have two thoughts there. One being that there's been a huge surge in ancestrally rooted food projects and explorations. I think right now people are finding a lot of uh, personal healing and transformative work is possible when we reclaim our roots. Mm -hmm. And I think this is not just the case for folks of color. This is also, and maybe most importantly for people who might identify as white, because whiteness is the construct. We all have cultures that we descended from and whiteness is a forced assimilation into a category defined very broadly that only retains power by continuing to absorb and assimilate people into it. And so I think the idea of going back into your history and whether you know all the details or not, it could also be led from a place of intuition of where you feel you are connected, right? Where you feel you have kin and maybe finding a recipe and starting from that place of trying to recreate something that maybe existed in your DNA and in your lineage at some point. And I think that can be a really powerful place to start to reclaim a relationship to that and frankly, a right to that form of nourishment and relationship to food. Similarly, I think, you know, a lot of people in food spaces share a story that how they came into it was by having a relationship to the land, was by starting a garden. And I think that that is definitely an important part, especially in our increasingly digital world, the physical, tangible experience of cultivating a piece of earth is really deeply powerful, even if it's just, you know, an herb garden on the window of your apartment building. But I think that you can be connected and you can reclaim a connection to land beyond having to cultivate and plant seeds. Just being in relationship to the space that you're in and offering your presence in that space so what I mean by that is I wander around my neighborhood in Oakland and right now it's citrus season and I love picking up the, the lemons and oranges and making a big batch of marmalade. And that connects me and reminds me not just where I am in time and slows me down to kind of the human pace time that we often get disconnected from, but it also connects me to my neighbors, right? This is a bounty that we share. It's something that I can drop off at my down the hall neighbor's door. And reminds me that it's a space where there is naturally an incredible abundance in our world. We've just been taught through a narrative rooted in, you know, chattel slavery and imperialism and white supremacy, that there is scarcity and that we got to fight for it. And food is something to be hoarded and power is something to be hoarded. And when we relate to food as a place of abundance and care and collective nourishment, we're really starting to unpack that for ourselves. So food has always been a place of, of more generous gifting and exchange, I think, for people, as much as capitalism tries to winnow that down for us. So sharing a meal 
bringing an ancestral recipe forward. I think also talking to friends and family about powerful food memories that they have about their family's relationship to food. Those conversations can actually be much more powerful than you might expect because food can often cut us to the quick and really get to the heart of things in a way you wouldn't expect maybe. Yeah. You know, I'm going to say it's probably not always going to be easy. You know, I'm super white, right? <laughs> and if I think about my food history, my entire childhood was terrible, bland British food, like terrible food. I didn't even discover good food till I was in my mid-20s. And so I think you're right. Everybody's journey is going to be different in terms of figuring out what their connections are and how to really reconnect with the land, which Fortunately, I've been able to do through different paths than my ancestral foods. But yeah, it's definitely a journey worth taking. And so looking ahead for Real Food, Real Stories, what's coming up for you there? So we're in a pretty exciting moment as a nonprofit. This pandemic era was challenging. We started off the pandemic as being an events-based organization. We had a lot of storytelling gatherings and primarily did things in person and obviously had to shift all virtual. But it also offered us an opportunity to say, things are shifting so quickly. What are we really called to do in this moment? Which allowed us to really shift into being a culture change organization and to refine our focus. We just updated our mission in the last year. So we're really in this chrysalis stage, just about to spread one's wings. And so, like I said, we have our around the table, which happens seasonally, which are always really powerful moments to come together as a community from the comfort of your home. We have the immersions that are launching and we'll have our story workshops as well. I'm also really excited to be working on the relaunch of our podcasts. We used to have a podcast for a number of years and we're reimagining it in a really immersive form to allow people to have an auditory experience of an immersive food culture moment to like connect in. So we have quite a few things in the works right now in the test kitchen. And I think there's going to be a lot that's sort of blooming in the next few months. It's such a great time for this. Just about every project that I'm working on, there's a connection to food and there's a connection to the land and there's a connection to this culture. And, and so I think the timing of this work is really perfect. And I'm really excited to see where you're going to take this work. So thank you so much for making time for this conversation. Thank you for having me. And I hope you're able to find something delicious in that bland uh, <laughs> British food background of yours. I'm sure you can find something. Yes, I'm sure I can too. All right. Thank you. You've been listening to Forward a podcast about how leaders use stories to shape the future. If you'd like to know more about how story design can help you develop and sell your big idea, get in touch at denisewithers.com.